Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, I'm pretty sure that this is our largest crowd since over a year ago. It's unquestionably. You... You're the most we've had in the room, and I still think we're all legit for distancing and all those wonderful things as well. If you're online with us or or here in the house, either one, we we want you to talk, I want to tell you about an experience that happened this morning. We have a new service at our nine thirty service. It's uh, the same sermon that I'll be preaching now, but it was a little bit shorter. Uh, and we have, it's a very interactive service, a very different look on our platform. You may want to go online and just sort of check out the loop, it's called the loop. And, or you might want to just be here next week at 930 just to see what's happening a little differently at our church as well. It's a great new interactive, especially for our online viewers to help them be able to, to get with us as well. What gets your attention gets you. Do you believe that? Do do you believe that what gets that axiom, what gets your attention, gets you? We like to imagine that we can give our attention to two things at one time and be okay with doing that. Somehow we can split our attention. In all my years of of counseling, while there may are, are plenty of outliers, generally speaking, and this is not, I'm not being sexist, please, but generally speaking, uh, women seem to buy into this myth more than men, okay? <laughs> that they can do two things at one time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, men, we, we men are pretty mono-focused as a group. We, we exist in a box at a time. All the complexities of our life, we take each one and we put it in a box. And we have all these boxes and we go to one box at a time. Women, they don't have boxes. They have a big bowl. Okay, uh, wonderful bowl. And all the complexities that we're talking about, they, we dump into that bowl, and then they add some more of their own complexities to it as well. And what's different is in that bowl, everything is connected to everything else in the bowl. With all these connections, like strings of spaghetti, everything is connected. And it's what gives us, that women, that wonderful thing called women's t- intuition. It really is. That, that web of connectivity allows them to make connections that we men might never, ever even imagine making in our minds. Uh, mom baked cookies early in the afternoon, and now she's in a back bedroom of the house, and, and she hears the screen door slam shut, and she realizes her son has just come home from school. And in a split second, I mean, a split second, all these connections come together and she thinks, okay, I baked cookies this afternoon. They're cooling on the counter. The smell of cookies is still in the house. Assuming the screen door slamming was my son coming home, he's going to be hungry. And just as he's walking across the kitchen to take a cookie off the counter, he hears from the back of the house this voice, don't touch the cookies there for later. And he looks around thinking, does mom have cameras? You know, uh, does she have some kind of superpowers that enable her to see me when she's not in the room? Uh, no, 
No, because of those multiple connections, because uh, she can make all these connections, she just puts it all together that fast. And, and because she does that, uh, things in quick succession, she begins to believe, possibly, that she can actually focus in two places at one time. But, but we really can't. Now, we men, we watch television very differently than women. We watch television like this. Yeah. And we just do one thing at a time, okay? But our, the, the women in our world, they, they, they don't do that. They, they, they talk on the phone and they surf on the internet and they scroll through Facebook and they try to talk to us while we're watching our show, which is really irritating. Uh, as good as we may get at switching focuses, we can only focus our attention on one thing at a time. Let's, let's do a little experiment right now. In this room, or if you're at home watching, look at something across the room or out the window and focus on something at a distance. Just pick something right now. Come on, everybody, pick something and focus on it at a distance. Got it? Keep focusing on it and pick up your finger and put it in front of your face. Don't focus on your finger, focus on the thing in the distance. You can see your finger, can't you? Your finger's sort of blurry. Now change your focus and focus on your finger. What happened to all the things at a distance you were focused on? They all became blurry because you can't focus in two places at one time. They're different depths of field. You, you can't bring them both into focus at once, no matter how much you try, no matter how fast you switch back and forth. One's going to be blurry while the other one's clear, back and forth. A song that was sung, a singing group that I traveled with in high school had words to one of the songs that said, in the hustle and the bustle of the day, there are a million things to steal my thoughts away from Jesus. There are lots of legitimate places and issues and people and work that rightfully demand our attention. I mean, life is a, a series of, of compelling calls for our attention because it is, in so many ways, our attention is really all we have to give. In school, we give our, our divided attention to each subject in a, this assignment. Each teacher thinks theirs is the only one, but we all know as students that we have to cover all those subjects. And they come into conflict. Where to focus? In our relational world, we juggle our attention between our relationships to maybe foster some and maybe neglect some others. But uh, we, we have only one place we can put our attention. In Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter just before the scripture reading you heard, we read about this wonderful host of people called the Hall of Faith. Uh, these heroes of Bible faith. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Uh, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't have to experience death. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. It is a long list in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a who's who list of biblical faithfulness and people of, of Bible faith. That chapter of the record, recounting of the faith of the faithful is followed by our text for today. And, and from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll, listen, I'm, I'm just going to do verse 1 first. Um, as we have that. It's interesting, in verse 1, uh, many commentators think of these verses, 1 and 2, as the perfect summary of the Christian life. So here's verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles 
and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The call that Christ gives us, uh, gives purpose, uh, there's there's a race to be run. There's a victory to be won, we used to sing. Jesus doesn't invite us uh, to just stroll aimlessly through life. We aren't tourists just looking for the sights as we live our lives here. We are pilgrims, folks, pilgrims on a journey, uh, uh, constantly on the way, while never in this life fully arriving at the destination, but always pressing on toward that for which Jesus Christ has taken hold of us, to be transformed into the very image of Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews has just reminded us, chapter 11, of this whole bunch of messed up people who were people of faith and are now like in the cheering stands encouraging us to live lives of faithfulness by their life of faithfulness and the stories of how they ran the race. Progress is the best we can hope for in this life, not arrival. It's hard to hear. I want you to hear that again. Progress is the best we can hope for in this life, not arrival. Every one of the heroes of faith applauded in chapter 11 of Hebrews were flawed and simultaneously faithful. Flawed and faithful. We, we have a hard time sometimes holding those things in ambiguity. Flawed and faithful. But Abraham lied twice about his wife to protect his own skin. He mustered up this courage to try to fulfill the promise by his own works and effort. Jacob was a heel grabber who weaseled his way into the birthright and then deceived his father. Uh, David, well, Moses first. Moses murdered the Egyptian and disobeyed God. David was the king of Israel by whom all the other kings would be measured, a man after God's own heart and a moral failure. Everyone was running with endurance and perseverance, the race marked out for them. But but like us, they at best were running with a bad knee or a, a hip that didn't quite share their, you know, things or bad plantar's fasciitis on their heels or you know, a, a back that would go out, some kind of handicap of sin. Now, I'm not a runner. Huh, no duh, right? Um, I'm not, I've run some, but I'm not a runner. But I, I do know this about running. When you run, you want to be as light as you possibly can. Maybe that's why I don't run. Um, I'm not as light as I could possibly be. You, you don't carry any extra weight when you run. You want to, you, you know, you strip down and wear those little flimsy running shorts because you want to be as light as you can possibly be. want to carry any extra weight. And, and that's the picture here of us, for us in our lives. We all, Every one of us have things that hinder our running for the race. They may not be bad things. They may not be evil things or wrong things, but they they may be things that hinder us, hinder us. There is in our life uh, the duty as a Christian to journey on this pilgrimage and discard things along the way, things that weigh us down. My dad used to say, Andy, you don't possess things, things possess you. And uh, I think that's really true. I, as, I'm, as I think about the next chapter in my life, I'm wanting to throw, throw, out, throw off all the clutter. I don't want to declutter and deaccumulate. Uh, I have too much junk. Come to my garage, you'll know it's true. Um, 
I don't really need a lot of that stuff. And this stuff isn't bad stuff. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, it, it, it just doesn't, but it doesn't, it doesn't just take up space in a closet or the garage or a storage shed. It takes up mental space in my mind and it may hinder me in my race. When we think about running the race toward Christ likeness, have we ever sat down and really considered what our, what of our stuff, our friendships, our work, our entertainment, our recreation, uh, our souvenirs of life that we hold on to, what might be hindering us in that pursuit of being like Christ? And we're encouraged in our text today to figure that out and to throw it off, to throw everything that hinders the sin that easily entangles us, throw it off. Seriously, what, what sin do we enjoy dabbling in? What's your, I like to dabble in that sin a little bit. And the tentacles of that sin will come and entangle us and hold us back from progress and being like Jesus. We can't just pretend those sins that we sort of lean toward don't exist. We're counseled to identify our weak spots, to figure out what that sin is that easily entangles us and throw it off, throw it off. There are lots of legitimate things in our lives that call for our attention. But what, what, is, getting, what is getting in your life, in my life, what's getting more attention than it deserves? That's, in our, that's more than our, in our best interest. We're called to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Maybe when you think about a race, you're like me. I think about a marathon for some reason. Or maybe, but maybe it's just a short race. Maybe it's a 100-yard dash kind of race. But I think this race that is being talked about in Hebrews is not a, about running the race as much as it's about running it with perseverance. It's not about trying to win the race. It's, it's about participating in the race. It reminds me of the, the bike rides around Orlando. Have you ever encountered one of these giant bike rides? They, they announce a meetup place, and they, literally hundreds of people will bring their bicycles, meet up at this spot, and then someone leads them down a designated path. And it really can be a 100 or a couple of 100 people on bicycles. It's not a race. It's all about the participation. And I think Jesus invites us to join the run. There, there, there's a course laid out for each of us. A destination is the same. All of our destinations are the same. We're running toward Christ. And the truth is, it's really a little bit of silly to think about it as a race somewhat because he's already won the race. He's already achieved absolute perfection. I mean, he didn't just stumble across the finish line gasping for air and barely make it. He has run a perfect race, a race that Satan said could not be run. He's run the race that is, that is the kissing of justice and mercy together, that he might be just and the justifier of all of us wounded, injured, flawed, messed up runners who now are on the racetrack. His running, Jesus' running, was so perfect that it solved the sin problem. That was God's problem way before humanity was even created. And it's, it's a victory that he has, has awarded, God awarded him enough gold medals as he crossed the finish line to give one to every runner, no matter where they place in the, in the quotes race. 
Listen to the next verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, and by it he reconciled, listen to me, and by his death on the cross, he reconciled all things in heaven and on earth to the Father. They had a sin problem. The Trinity is sitting in heaven. They've got this sin problem, and Jesus solved the sin problem. And he solved the sin problem. We, we, and we get the benefits of that, but he solved it. We are invited here to fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because of who Jesus is. The NIV says that we just called him the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then the King James translates it, the author and the finisher of our faith. And another translation says the pioneer and the perfecter. The New Living Translation, I love it. It says the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. The way we run the race with perseverance is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Looking to Jesus uh, focusing on Jesus because our faith comes from him as a gift. He initiates it. And, and even better, regardless of our limp of sin, regardless of the brokenness of our vessel into which he puts faith, he not only starts us in our faith on that journey, but he gives us his perfection. He brings us across the finish line. He gives us one of the billions of gold medals that he's won as our very own gold medal. It is all of Jesus. Don't imagine it's not. It's all of Jesus. Like the song I referenced earlier, there are a million things to steal our thoughts away from Jesus. I don't know about you, but maybe, maybe you're a wonderful concentrator who doesn't get distracted. I, I'm not. Um, I think they might have diagnosed me with ADD if I'd been born today. <laughs> uh, my mind goes in a zillion different directions all the time. And, and I oftentimes, from throughout my whole life, will get up really early in the morning because there's nobody else awake to distract me. And, and I'll, I'll go into a quiet place and be able to not have the distractions. There are few in that early morning darkness. I can be less distracted. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus and not be distracted. I mean, I can fix my eyes on you and you can fix your eyes on me. We're right here together uh, because we're here. But, but how do we go about fixing our eyes on Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you two ways. Um, that I'm sure there's probably more, but I'm going to give you two ways. The first one may seem a little passe in our world today. We we may even think of the concept of memorizing something as sort of antiquated. Why would I memorize anything? Everything I could possibly want is in my palm of my hand on my smartphone. You know, I can look up anything and read it right there. Why should I have to memorize it? This is true. But Scripture speaks about hiding God's Word in our hearts, in our minds, not in our smartphones. Um, <laughs> and that having done that, 
it will give us uh, help. It'll be helpful for us for throwing off the things that hinder us, the sin that easily entangles us. It's exactly what Jesus used when he faced temptation. He called on the word that he had memorized. What we hold in our minds, we have we can go to instantly, have instant access to it. So I invite you to, to try something. This is just sort of out there, but I would say let's all just start with Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Just three chapters out of the whole Bible. Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. What if we memorized it? What if we started and could say, you know, he went up on the mountaintop, his disciples came to him and gathered around him, and he said, blessed are the pure. I mean, what if we learned the whole thing, um, not just the Beatitudes? And maybe we could add some other of his verses, his teachings, and memorize those as well. Then, as we go on this pilgrimage journey, this race, as we, as we run and we face all the distractions that will come along, as we consider what is hindering us and the sin that easily entangles us, we can fix our eyes on Jesus by recalling his teaching in just those three chapters. And be able his by remembering that we can initiate our he initiated our faith and he's going to bring it to perfection and he's going to show us how to walk along the way. It enables us to really consider WWJD. You know that was a big deal for a while. Everybody wore little bracelets WWJD. What would Jesus do? And, and, and by knowing his words in our minds, we can understand what he would do. We have his fixed teaching in our, in our mind. We have a go to place. To, to look to, to, to proverbially fix our eyes on Jesus. And if we've determined to follow Jesus, I'm just, I, can, I can assure you of this. If you're a person who said, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus, you can be guaranteed that we will be tempted to fix our eyes other places. We may look for direction and fix our eyes and our confidence in other people. Uh, teachers, pastors, leaders, parents, friends, bosses, peers. The good news is if they've been fixing their eyes on Jesus, we may be able to get some really good counsel from them. But the problem is they're all human. And at some point, they will disappoint us. We, we might look to organizations, to our workplace, our business, a company, a church, a school, a denomination, but these are not the place where Scripture advises us to fix our eyes. There's only one place, there's only one, only one person who deserves our highest and best and most regular focus. Focused attention. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Many of our difficulties in our lives are because we had not fixed our eyes on Jesus, we fixed our eyes on ourselves. <laughs> the trouble of our world, you know, has to do with fixing our eyes on ourselves. That it may be negative fixing our eyes on ourselves, like, you know, all the bad things that have happened to me, look what's happened to me, my life has been so horrible, and this is terrible, me, poor me, poor me, self, you know, self-pitying kind of thing. Or it may be focused on ourselves in a, in a self-motivational like way where we're trying to talk ourselves to be better people and I'm going to pull myself up on bootstraps. Or it may be that we fix our eyes on ourselves in a prideful way that thinks more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Aren't I something? Jesus tells about a day coming when he's going to separate some sheep and some goats. And the sheep are going to be welcomed because they have had their eyes fixed on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? They, they've been having their eyes fixed on Jesus, and they haven't even been aware that they've been having their eyes fixed on Jesus. 
They've had their eyes fixed on Jesus when he was hungry and they gave him food. They were fixing their eyes on Jesus when they gave that thirsty person a drink of cool water. And who knew that they were fixing their eyes on Jesus when they offered hospitality to that stranger? Who would have imagined that that young person who didn't have anything decent to wear to school was Jesus when they were given clothes that they needed? And the care of the sick, the caregiver, every day fixing their eyes on Jesus and the person of the sick for whom they care. And who would imagine Jesus in jail? But he said that visiting that prisoner was fixing our eyes on him. Jesus calls us to love one another. That people will know that we're his followers because of the love that we have for others. That he's initiated our faith and is perfecting it. It's because of we love And love is simply, folks, a definition of love might be readiness to serve. And focusing on serving and focusing on those we serve, Jesus said that serving is serving him. And in our desire to not sin against God, we can prepare for that reality by storing up his words in our hearts, fixing fixing our eyes on him that we carry in our minds Uh, his directives, so that we can throw off all the things that would hinder us and the sin that would easily entangle. We aren't saved. We're not saved by uh, memorizing the words of Scripture. We're not saved by serving the people who are Jesus as we fix our eyes on them, but they are tools. They're tools to enable us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So things to remember. Please, please, please. I'm begging you. Please, please, please remember to fix your eyes on Jesus. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.